Thank you for listening to our church podcast where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. Most of the sermons will be preached by our founding pastor, John Cole. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m. for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. I'm going to begin by reading from the book of James, chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple of passages and just ask us to consider these as an introduction uh, before we get to 2 Corinthians. James chapter 1, starting verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Now, word temptations basically means trials, sufferings, uh, negative circumstances. He says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And then if you go to the next slide, Romans chapter 5, it's a similar passage. It says, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. So these two passages are saying that when trials come into your life, and when suffering comes to you, you're supposed to rejoice. That's a strange concept. I don't know about you, but the last thing that I think of doing when a trial comes into my life is rejoicing and being glad about it. And notice that uh, this is not a Pollyanna approach. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where in a negative circumstance, you look for some sliver of positivity and focus on that. That's not what the texts are saying. They're saying, look at that trial Look at that tribulation and rejoice in that. Be glad about the suffering. That's a very strange concept, and it's very unnatural to us. To understand this, we need to begin with an acknowledgement of two facts that may be uncomfortable for many of us on the subject of suffering. Number one, all suffering in the life of a Christian is sent directly from God or is approved by God. No suffering comes into a Christian's life without God's approval. And at first, that might seem a little bit uncomfortable to you to to think that uh, the trial you're going through, the the hardship in your life right now, God approved of that. God wanted you to go through that. It's a little bit uncomfortable for me personally, but the flip side of that is it is a little bit of a comfort because I know that if God sent it into my life, then he's got a reason for it. And we'll get into that more as, as we go along here. So number one, all suffering in the life of a Christian is approved by God. Number two, God is in control of our suffering. Slightly different point, basically saying that if God wanted your trial to end, he could end it right now. So if you're going through an ongoing period of suffering in your life, God's allowing every single moment of that. It's not like he sent it to you and then he's just kind of waiting for things to to happen for it to leave your life. No, God can take it away at any time. God is in complete control of all of our suffering. And as an example, uh, I think one book of the Bible that clearly illustrates this is the book of Job. If you read the first two chapters of Job, you see that Satan cannot bring a trial into Job's life without God's permission. It's a strange thing to think about. But But Satan comes to God and basically has to get God's approval to test Job with suffering. Not only that, but God sets the parameter of Job's suffering. He says in chapter 1 that you can test Job and you can send trials into Job's life, but don't touch his body. Don't hurt him physically. 
And then in chapter 2, God says, okay, you can hurt him physically, you can hurt his body, but don't kill him. So we see there that God sets the parameter for Job's suffering. I think he does that for us as well, that God is in complete control. Satan can't send trials into your life without God knowing about it. It's not, it's not like God's caught off guard by a suffering you go through. No, he knows all about it. He, he's the one who ordained that it would happen. He approved of it. And he sets the parameters for your trials. With this all in mind, we'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse number 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Those are some fantastic verses. The type of scriptures that the more you look at it, the more details you see, and the more uh, rich understanding you'll, you'll get by just looking at these verses and thinking about them, meditating on them. You see, first of all, in verse 16, for which cause we faint not. Ekakeo, we don't lose heart. We don't surrender. We don't give up in the midst of suffering. We can endure those trials. Paul says it's possible to go through suffering and he describes it as, as the outward man perishing without losing heart. But instead, we can have our inward man renewed daily, even in the midst of suffering. That's the end of the verse there. The inward man is renewed day by day. How is that possible? How can we respond to suffering like this, where a trial comes, where we're going through suffering day by day by day, and instead of losing heart, and instead of giving up hope, we're actually being renewed on the inside. How is this possible? I think a key word is in verse 17, the first word, the word for or because. So the way in which we can respond to suffering by being renewed in the inner man and not fainting is verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 17 is the key to experiencing inner man renewal instead of losing heart. And there's three very important words in the, in the center of verse 17. You see, you've got affliction at the top, glory at the bottom, and right in the middle, there's a phrase, worketh for us. Worketh for us. Our affliction worketh for us glory. Our affliction produces glory. It accomplishes or achieves glory. It, it brings about glory. The Greek word means it, it's something that causes another thing to come about. So our affliction produces glory. This is the exact same word that's used in uh, James and Romans, the passages we looked at before, where it said, the trying of your faith worketh patience. It produces patience. And here Paul is saying that there is a glory that is the result of enduring affliction. In other words, no suffering in the Christian life is meaningless. There is no such thing as a purposeless trial that God sends into your life uh, just because he doesn't care about you or because he, he's not concerned with what you're going through. No, every single thing that God sends into the life of a Christian has a meaning and has a purpose, and it's accomplishing something that Paul calls glory. By the way, Paul says here it's producing or accomplishing glory for us. Uh, verse 17, the affliction worketh for us glory. Now we're going to put that concept on the shelf for a second. We'll come back to it a little bit later. But right now I want us to consider some of these words that I glossed over a little bit. Uh, when I was reading this, you notice the affliction, there's, there's several descriptions of both the affliction and the glory. And they're polar opposites in each case. So we see the affliction is described as light, or light affliction. Now, light is an inherently comparative term. So what's light for me might be heavy for Caleb. 
uh, or what's light for Caleb is going to be heavy for a baby. So light and heavy are comparative terms. So there's got to be some sort of standard that Paul's comparing this to. It's light in comparison to what? Well, I think we can certainly say Paul's trials were not light in comparison to ours or to somebody else's. If anybody knew something about suffering, it was the Apostle Paul. Paul was whipped. He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He, he went, spent time in prison for preaching the gospel. He was stoned. He was betrayed by people like Demas that were supposed to be his friends. And at the end of Paul's life, he's, he's in a prison in Rome. And one day they take him out of the prison and cut his head off. That's Paul's life in ministry. It's one endless suffering after another, it seems. And yet Paul describes that as light affliction. So it's not that Paul's affliction was light in comparison to other Christians. I think in this verse we see it's light in comparison to the glory. So Paul says the affliction is light in comparison to the exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, the glory that God is accomplishing through our suffering is greater than the suffering he's using to accomplish it. Paul says in Romans 8.18, I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's the same concept, that your suffering might be a lot for you. It might feel heavy, but in comparison to the glory that it's working in you, it's light. So we've got affliction on one side, glory on the other. The affliction is light in comparison to the weight of glory. And there's another description in verse 17, if you can uh, go back to that. Verse 17, you see the affliction is temporary. It says it's but for a moment. And at the end of the verse, the glory is described as being eternal. So if you're a Christian, all of your suffering is temporary. There's, there's no such thing as eternal suffering if you're a true Christian. Now, if you're not saved, then that, there is such a thing as eternal suffering. We call it hell. It's, it's eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. But if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, all suffering that you experience is temporary. It all has an end date. And even if it's lifelong suffering, there's still an end date, and that end date starts eternity. So there's no comparison. I mean, if you live a 100 years and you're in trials and suffering for the whole time, that's a blink of an eye in comparison to eternity. All of our suffering is, is meaningful. It's all working glory in us. All of our suffering is light in comparison to what it's accomplishing. And all of our affliction is temporary. And the glory that's the result of the affliction is eternal. Now, you might be feeling a little bit skeptical right now. If you've gone through some trials, and I'm sure everyone in this room could, could tell stories of terrible things that you went through, and in the midst of your trials, and maybe you're going through something right now that you have absolutely no idea what the purpose is. I can think of times in my life where I've gone through really weird trials, really weird circumstances, where even now, years later, I look back and I think, what in the world was the point of that? I remember in college, I had a weird thing happen. Uh, finals week of my junior year, I think, of college, my leg started acting up, and I never really figured out what it was. I think it was my sciatic nerve. I'm not positive. But I just had terrible pain. I couldn't walk for more than a couple of steps. So I'm in the middle of finals week, and I'm, I'm literally stumbling to class, taking like six breaks on the way to each room. It was just embarrassing. You know, students are walking by me and making fun of me. Staff members are making fun of me. It was just an awkward. I'm 21 at the time. I had no, no physical problems in my life. It was just came out of nowhere. And then a few months later, it went away. It lasted about two months. I wasn't able to work. Had all sorts of hospital bills. It accomplished nothing. You know, I wasn't getting any better. And then all of a sudden it went away. 
And I look back on that years later and I have absolutely no idea why it happened. I don't see anything good that came from it. It was just this weird part of my life. And all of us have stories like that where you went through suffering and it may have been terrible. It may have been incredibly painful. And you look back and you still don't know why it happened. So, so can we truly believe that all of our affliction is accomplishing glory? What do we do when we can't see that? What do we do when we can't, we can't understand what in the world God's doing in our trial? I think most of the times we can't. Well, there's another description Paul gives in this text in verse 18. He says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, what's Paul talking about? What are the things that he says are seen and what are the things that are not seen? Something in this text is visible and something's invisible. And Paul says, look at the thing that's invisible, which is a little bit hard to comprehend. If he says it's invisible, why is he telling us to look at it? But I think there's a clue in the last half of verse 18. Paul says the things which are seen are temporal. Sounds familiar. I think he's talking here about the affliction that he's just talked about in the previous verse. In other words, the things which, that he's talking about that's visible is the affliction. And the thing that's invisible is the glory. You and I don't see the glory, when, especially when we're in the midst of affliction. Rarely do I ever, in the midst of a trial, think, oh, I know exactly what God's doing here. That's pretty rare. Normally, in the midst of our trial, and Paul acknowledges here, you can't see the glory that's being accomplished by it. Especially when you're in the midst of a trial, you can't see what God is doing. And like I said, sometimes on the other side of a trial, years later, you still can't see what God was doing. I think of stories in the Bible like, I think of Mary when she saw her son being crucified on a cross. I don't think she understood fully. It doesn't seem like she understood fully what was happening there. I think at that moment she saw suffering. She saw, she saw pain, unbelievable pain, seeing her perfect son dying on a cross. The disciples that, that were following Jesus, you remember after the crucifixion, before Jesus rose again, they were super confused. They were hiding they were just wondering what was going on. They're, the one that they believed was the Messiah and the Son of God, he's dead now. And they didn't know what was, what was the purpose of this. They were confused. They were afraid. It seemed meaningless. And they didn't understand what God was doing through that suffering. They, they couldn't see the glory, in other words. But today, as we look back at that terrible act of suffering, we see that it resulted in the greatest glory the world's ever known. You and I are here today as Christians because of the fact that Jesus endured that suffering, that affliction. And the glory of God's purpose being fulfilled to save sinners from their sin, that's the glory that was accomplished by Christ's affliction. Christ's suffering produced glory. Look at uh, Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus endured the cross without losing heart, and he did this because he was, he was looking at the joy. Uh, Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross by focusing on the joy that was set before him. He knew that his death would allow sinners to be reconciled to God. He knew that his death was going to bring glory to his father, his act of obedience, like we talked about on Wednesday night. And in the midst of that pain, Jesus was looking at the joy that was going to be produced. He was looking at the glory, the end result that God was accomplishing through this. So back to our text in 2 Corinthians, how can we be renewed in the midst of suffering? Well, Paul says the secret is, don't look at the things which are seen, namely the affliction, but look at the things which are not seen, the glory. 
Now, we've already said we can't see it. So, so why is Paul saying see something that's not seen? Well, the Greek word here seems to mean to direct your attention to it, to focus on it, to aim at it. In other words, Paul is saying focus your attention not on the suffering that you're going through right now, but on the glory that your suffering is going to produce. And the only way that you and I can do that, again, we can't see it. We don't know what God's doing. Uh, most of the time when you and I go through suffering, we have no idea what's, what the purpose is and what God's doing in us. But it takes faith to see this unseen glory. It takes faith to trust that God is sending suffering into your life for a reason, that he's accomplishing something far greater through it. When suffering comes, have faith in the fact that God is sovereign over your affliction, as we talked about earlier. He's doing something through it. And what he's doing will result in what Paul says is exceeding an eternal weight of glory. And if you focus on that in the midst of trials, you can be renewed in the inner man day by day. Suffering is an opportunity to show the depth of your faith. Do we trust God enough to praise him for trials he sends into our life, even if we don't understand why he's doing it? And like we saw in James and Romans, we're not talking about praising God in spite of suffering, but praising God specifically for it and for what he's accomplishing through it. So the application, I think, of this text is, number one, trust God in times of suffering. Trust that he's, he has a reason for it. He's in control of it. It's not a random thing that's happening to you. God is the one who approved of that trial, and he's accomplishing something glorious through it. Rejoice when God allows suffering into your life because suffering is a catalyst for growth and maturity as a Christian. We saw this in James and Romans, how the trying of your faith works patience. It produces maturity and growth as a Christian. Some of the times in, in all of our lives, I would imagine that we've grown the most or have not been easy times. They've been difficult times. When your faith is strengthened, you've got to go through some, some tough things in order for that to happen. Suffering is a tool in the hand of God to form you as a Christian into the image of Christ. Verse 28, this is a very famous passage that uh, people quote all the time. We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And those phrases basically are code for a Christian, that all things work together for good to those who are saved, to those who are God's children. But sometimes we consider that verse isolated from the rest of the context. And we think, great, God's doing great things, and this is all going to work out for good. But look at the next verse, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words... If you're a Christian, God is working all things in your life for good. And the good that God is working all things together for is conformity to the image of Christ. So we don't lose heart in times of suffering. We can be renewed day by day by focusing on the glory God is working for us through the affliction. And I believe that glory is, at least in part, conformity to Christ. We become more like Jesus through suffering. Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about this. He says, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, I would rather lose everything in my life if I can know Christ more and have a deeper relationship with him. Amen. Verse 8, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, they're meaningless, that I might win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. In Paul's mind, if it makes me more like Jesus, it's worth it. 
Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what suffering it might be. Every trial that God sends into our life, he's trying to shape you into the Christian he wants you to be. And that's why we can rejoice in suffering. We can rejoice in suffering and be renewed in the inner man because we have confidence that God's using it to form us into the image of his son. Now, there's one question that came to mind as I was studying this. And that is, are there any exceptions to this? Are there any types of suffering that are not working glory in us, that are not shaping us as Christians and producing better things for us? And I I thought about what I would call self-inflicted suffering. Because there's suffering that, like the situation that happened to me in college where I had nothing to do with it, it just happened to me. But then there's a lot of suffering in my life that I really brought on myself, if I'm honest. You know, if I, if I blow through a red light and I get a ticket, that's not really suffering. I did that. That's my fault. And so what about self-inflicted suffering? Specifically, what about when we sin and God sends chastisement into our life? Would that be an exception to this? I want to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12. This will be the last text we look at. Verse 5 says, Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. In other words, don't lose heart when God is chastening you. So even when God sends suffering as a result of your sin, the author of Hebrews says don't lose heart. Verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If you're a Christian, you can expect to receive chastening when you sin. That's, That's what the point of this is. Verse 8, if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which correcteth us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, he's talking about earthly parents, they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. It's a very important phrase there. When God chastens us, he does it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11, now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. There's no such thing as enjoyable chastening of God. It's always, it doesn't seem good. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And there's an important concept in these passages that uh, I do want to point out, and that is when God When we sin, God's not mad at us, punishing us in in anger for our sin. Jesus took that on the cross. And the song we just sang in Christ Alone is a perfect example of this. On On the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. So when Jesus was on the cross, he took the blow. He took the wrath of God. He took the full anger of God for our sin. So then why does God send chastening into our lives? If Jesus took the punishment, why are we being punished for our sin? And I think the answer here is that when God is chastening us, uh, the word basically means training or education. And, and like he said in verse 10, it's for our profit. God doesn't punish us because he's mad at us and he's just smacking us across the head. No, the chastening God sends in our lives is to bring us back to the right path. So when we stray away from God's will, God sends trials sometimes into our life to correct us and to bring us back uh, to where he wants us to be. It's like a parent correcting their child and training them for their own good. It's not like a legal punishment. So when Jesus was on the cross, he took the legal punishment. We committed the crime, and Jesus took the punishment that the law required. 
what we get when we sin is not is not a punishment in a legal sense. It's more like a parent correcting the child and saying, hey, don't do that because I know that's not good for you. And so when, when we receive chastening from the Lord, it is for our profit. It's not an exception. And afterward, it, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. It produces holiness in uh, the one who's being corrected. So don't lose heart in times of suffering, but trust that God is working through that suffering to grow and mature you and to make you more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for this rich text in your word that gives us comfort and, and uh, purpose in times of suffering to where we don't have to feel like you're a million miles away and you don't understand what we're going through. We can have confidence that you sent this into our life for a reason and that it is for our good. And that's actually an expression of your love for us, that you want to make us more like your son. And so while, while we don't invite suffering into our lives, we're not going to suffer as someone who's not a Christian because we have confidence that you know what you're doing, that you do all things well. Help us, Lord. Whatever afflictions might be represented in this room, and I don't, I don't know the story of everybody here, there may be some very difficult uh, pain that's being experienced right now. I just pray, God, that this text would serve as an encouragement uh, that God is working something glorious through this affliction. It's not meaningless. It's not purposeless. But God knows what he's doing and God's in control. And help us to trust you in times of suffering, Lord. That you bless this time of invitation. Bless our, our meeting to follow. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com. Or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.